Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Ruth. book of Ruth, the third chapter. We've studied the first and second chapter of this little book. We've given you introduction most every time, but we won't do that tonight. We'll just try to pick up where we left off with a story of uh, Ruth gleaning in the fields of Boaz, and then coming to the place that uh, she is now by Naomi's request, seeking to find a closer relationship with Boaz, and we find the law of the Levite marriage that's involved in this third chapter, and then the redemption of Ruth, and also the inheritance of Naomi in the fourth chapter. And uh, we possibly would cover both these chapters tonight, the Lord willing. Let's look at verse 1 of the third chapter. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winneth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now she's beginning, uh, Naomi, before we read any further, she's beginning to give Ruth instruction as how to let Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer, claim not only the inheritance of Naomi, and redeem it, but also uh, the right to redeem Ruth uh, into the family and uh, become the husband of Ruth in order to raise up a name to uh, the dead, as was the custom in Israel. And I'll give you, before we read further what uh, Naomi says to Ruth, I want to give you two things about what uh, Naomi was uh, relying upon. She knew the law of uh, redemption concerning the inheritance of property, but she also knew the law of redemption as far as uh, the wife was concerned, as far as Ruth was concerned. And there are two verses, Leviticus 25, verse 25. Leviticus 25, verse 25 says this, If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. In other words, uh, Boaz was to redeem what Elimelech had lost, had sold, because of a situation of poverty. And that caused them to go into the land of uh, Moab to try to seek a living. And you've already uh, heard the story that uh, we've read and preached on in that uh, first two chapters and how everything went bad for Naomi and Elimelech for the two sons. Elimelech died and, and Malon and Chilion, the two sons. And then uh, Ruth the Moabitess came back with Naomi to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. And so we find that uh, the land that was left could be redeemed by Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. But then look in uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through, well, we read on down a few verses, enough to get the information we need. But look at verse 5. It says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, that's the case of Ruth's husband, right? And have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that... The firstborn which she beareth shall uh, succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. 
And so we find that this was a law in Israel. And we go down and read further. If a man uh, like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the, unto the elders. That's what happens in the fourth chapter here. Uh, the elders, and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he uh, stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Now then, uh, we find that this was a custom in Israel. And they had to meet before the elders of the city. And all of this takes place in the fourth chapter of Ruth. But what I want you to see before we get to that is the fact that Naomi knew her right to redemption of the land. She knew her right for Ruth, the Moabitess, even though Ruth was a Moabitess and of a cursed race. And she's telling her what to do here in order to show that she wants Boaz to become her husband. And by the way, let me say right off, before we read the story, some may think it's a solicitation or a vulgar situation, but it's very respectable. And Ruth takes the place of humility, the place of respectability in making her claim to Boaz. And she's certainly virtuous and innocent in every way in what uh, we read about, uh, though some have uh, tried to uh, color it otherwise because this was her right to do exactly what she did in order to let Boaz know, we're going to read it in a moment, in order to let Boaz know that she wanted him to take her as wife and that she would marry him and that he would have the right to redeem not only the inheritance that Naomi had lost, but also the right to redeem her and she would become his wife in a very uh, pure and, and uh, respectable manner because this was the law in Israel. And so when we read this story, don't think anything vulgar about it at all. So Naomi instructs Ruth in verse 3, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, and make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. It shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt uh, mark the place where he shall lie. Now remember, it was the uh, threshing floor. They were threshing the barley. And it was the threshing floor that she was to appear before Boaz, uh, where he's lying down to rest during the night. It says, Mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. In other words, he'll either accept you or reject you. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. With all modesty... And subjection, she quietly puts herself at the position of the feet of Boaz as we read this story. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she, she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In other words, I want you to take me to be your wife. 
you're a near kinsman. You are you have the right to redeem the land and you have the right to take me in a real honorable fashion as your wife according to the Jewish law. And he answered, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. In other words, uh, Ruth had been gleaning out in the fields and there were young men out there. And maybe there were some rich men and some poor men. But Ruth was not trying to better her situation. She only wanted what was right according to the law. And you see, Boaz commends her for her stand to do what is right in the sight of God and not regarding the persons or respecting other persons. And even though Boaz may have been an older man, and he probably was, uh, yet this was perfectly the right of the law and the way the law uh, would work concerning Ruth. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. In other words, I will take you as my wife. I'll redeem the land, I'll redeem the property, and I will take you as my wife. For all the city of the, my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. You see, here it's, it's stamped down clear and plain that, the, that Ruth came in in a very virtuous way to make this uh, uh, agreement to become the wife of Boaz. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Now look, everything is fine now. And Boaz has said, I, uh, I will I'll do the right of a kinsman to you. Remember? But I want you to notice. But how be it, he says, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Boy, that throws a little bit of cloud of darkness on the picture, doesn't it? Because Boaz says, look, I will do this. But he says, there's one nearer. The nearer kinsman would have a right to redeem the property and take Ruth to be his wife. Isn't that something? All of this great, wonderful love story is going well until this. Ruth, I would do this, but there's someone near. I, I don't even have the... There's a, one that has the right before me. Isn't that a sad situation? Now then, tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if we, he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. That's the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the veil uh, that thou hast upon thee, uh, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, this is Naomi, Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Tell him. Here's a, the advice of Naomi is very great advice. I, on the surface, we can't see just how it applies. You know, I'm not going back to apply this to Israel and their redemption, though it is dispensational as far as they're concerned. But I want to bring it down closer to home and apply it evangelically to those of you and I who have been redeemed by the grace of, of Christ and His redemption through His blood. And Ruth is really saying, 
He's going to finish this work of redemption, and He's going to finish the work that He has before Him without delay. It's as if Ruth was a prophet in this respect. And we might say in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied of Christ, and He's going to come and He's going to finish the work of redemption for us. And sure enough, He did, didn't He? And when He died on the cross, He cried out what? The last words before He said, before He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. The sixth word He uttered from the cross, He said, It is finished. I'll finish the work of redemption. So, Naomi says, He's going to finish this work. And He will not rest till He finishes the work. Aren't you thankful that Boaz in picturing Jesus uh, shows that Jesus would not rest till He finished the work? He came down from heaven's glory, came to this sinful earth, took upon the, Him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of, of men, and being found in fashion as a man, what? He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And He finished the work of redemption. For you and I. And then we're going to see how that this actually, what Boaz does, enters into the experience of, uh, between he and Ruth in the fourth chapter. Look in the fourth chapter, verse 1. Now, Boaz is going to do what he agreed to do. And Boaz is a picture of Christ. He's typical of Christ. Remember, the kinsman redeemer must be the near kin, and he must be willing to redeem a voluntary act. Boaz had both of these. He was a near kinsman, and he was willing to redeem, but he must be able to pay the price, have the ability to redeem. Well, in the first two, Boaz meets the requirements. But uh, there's one little catch. There's a nearer kinsman than Boaz. And that nearer kinsman represents the law that has the first right of redemption. But we're going to find that it's failure to be able to do it. The law has the first claim upon us, but Jesus has the second claim. And the law could not perform, and we're going to see exactly what happened as we read the story. Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there. The gate was the place of judgment and counsel and instruction and authority. Remember, old Lot sat in the gate, didn't he? Among the elders. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake, uh, came by unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. He called this man by name, the near kinsman. Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. In other words, Boaz had a matter to bring before the elders. He had a matter of law, a matter that a dispute, proposition that must be settled one way or another. In his favor or in the favor of the near kinsman that was nearer than he. And so the law had to decide it. The authorities had to decide it. And it says in verse 3, And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. She's, trying to, she's going to sell this parcel of land because of her poverty-stricken uh, condition. It was our, bro uh, our brother Elimelech's and I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. He says, Now you have the first right to redeem it. He's, he, had, he had beckoned to this uh, near kinsman to present himself there at the gate before the elders, the ten elders. And uh, 
to settle this situation. And he says, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. In other words, I, I take the place after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, if you let this uh, nearer kinsman represent the law that had the power to make his claim concerning this property and concerning Ruth, which it could be very typical of, and we'll show you in just a moment how it, how it is, then we'll find that uh, what happens as a result perfectly depicts the law and its inability to redeem. In verse 5, it says, Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field? It's not only property we have in mind, Boaz says, by the, of the hand of Naomi. Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. In other words, you have to take Ruth as well in the bargain because this is her right. And any time you buy the land and redeem it, you have to also take Ruth to be your wife and raise up a name to the dead. Now, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Maybe he had another wife. He couldn't marry her. We don't know the problem. He didn't state it. Why he could not, but he says, I cannot redeem it to myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now then, what could not the law do? Though it had a right to save us, it couldn't save us. The law had the first right to upon us and the first claim upon us, but it could not save us. If you remember Deuteronomy 23, look. Verse 3, it says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. And she was a Moabitess, right? She was of a cursed generation. We showed you before how Boaz was the, was the tenth man, didn't we? I think in the lesson or two back. So had there not been the proper man and the proper kinsman redeemer, the law would shut her out forever. In other words, the law shuts out the Ammonite and the Moabite forever, and only by grace can she be brought into the family of God. The law could only keep her out, but grace could bring her in. Now, if you let the law see its inability, as we find here in the, the next kinsman of Ruth, we'll see that definitely he is unable, and the law is unable to redeem us. He is unable to redeem it to himself, and we're going to find that it's witnessed by the ten men. The ten men may well represent the, the ten uh, points of the law, the ten commandments. It's, it's witnessed by all of the law that we cannot be saved by it. Uh, remember Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 8, listen, the first well, the third verse will say, For what the law could not do, listen, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, that's the first rite of redemption, it could not redeem us. Christ sending, uh, God sending His own only begotten Son, His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, an offering for sin, it means a sacrifice for sin when it says for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
See, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, Paul says in Galatians. It is evident. So you're, if you're trying to give that which has first claim on you, the Bible says, you know, you look at the ten points of the law, the commandments. God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make in thee any graven images. Honor the uh, Sabbath day and keep it holy. And uh, then he goes on to say all of these other things about man's duty to man. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness, etc. Thou shalt not kill. And all of these commandments are given. And we find that the best of men have broken somewhere the laws of God. In fact, Stephen was stoned to death because he looked to those Jews to whom the law was given, and he said, You have received the law by disposition of angels and have not kept it. And they stoned Stephen to death for that. Remember, he told them that they had not kept the law. You and I have not kept the law. Remember the young ruler, the young man that came to Jesus. He said, All these things have I observed from my youth up. And the Bible says that Jesus said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing. If we try to fulfill it all, we lack something yet. There's nothing we can do to be perfectly in the rights of of living to all of the law and perfectly keeping the law. Someone says, well, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. Have you? James says, if you've broken one, failed in one point, you're guilty of breaking God's law. And besides that, Jesus elevates that to, to even the thought of breaking the law as well as the actual breaking of it. Remember, Jesus said uh, concerning adultery. The Bible says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And yet the Bible, uh, Jesus said, that whosoever shall look upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already. The act didn't even take place. The thought. He elevates it to the very inmost being. Uh, he that hateth his brother without a cause is what? A murderer. Hate his brother. I'm glad we have unity in the church. I started to say something about it earlier. Maybe this is the proper time. I'm thankful that all the brethren of this church promote unity and love with one another. I'm thankful for that. And you know, I hate to see churches that's quibbling and quarreling about every little old thing. We don't expect every one of us to agree about everything. I hope that, uh, you know, I don't expect you to believe everything I say and agree with everything I say. I would like for you to agree with about, oh, a great percentage of it. Maybe say 90, 90%. Would that be fair enough? Say 90%. And allow the other 10 for all my mistakes and statements that I make that I shouldn't have made. You know, I uh, prayed before I came up here tonight. I said, Lord, not only help me to rightly divide the word of truth, but keep me from saying things that I ought not to say. Sometimes that that part is, is more important than what we do say. That we say too many things we should not say. And so I know Brother Randy and I have a little problem with that, don't we, Randy? So we pray that you'll be gracious and forgive us when we do say things that we shouldn't say. And sometimes it's just uh, on the spur of the moment we're taking... Uh, without uh, any consideration and thinking. Like, you know, most of us speak before we think. And sometimes when, after we think, we think, well, my, I shouldn't have said that. And most of us do before we think, too. And we say, I shouldn't have done that either. So anyway, the law couldn't redeem us. The Bible says no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And so you see the picture here. 
The law was powerless. Let me read a few things in the book of Galatians, and then we'll get back to this. Galatians chapter 2, and we'll read some in 3. Listen, 2 verse 16, uh, Paul says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works, the works of the law, not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we which have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Now look, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. See? None of us are justified by keeping the law. And then it says in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, uh, well, let's read verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Ruth, Ruth was under the curse, wasn't she? The Moabite was cursed. The Moabite and the Ammonite. And she had to be redeemed by grace because the law couldn't bring her into relationship with Boaz. Right? The law could not bring her into a relationship with Boaz. It had to be grace. And by the way, he was the tenth man. We gave you those uh, ten generations. He was the third of the tenth generation. It says even unto the tenth generation. So he was the unique man, the only man that could bring her into fellowship with God, into the congregation of the Lord. Okay, look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. By the way, this may... Can you hold where we're trying to drive at for just a moment? We're talking about the law. But remember this morning that we preached on Romans chapter 1, and it said, The just shall live by faith. Okay, the righteousness of God made a man just. And the, the, in Romans 1, I believe it's verse 17, where it says, The just shall live by faith. The emphasis there, and it's taken from Habakkuk. There's only three places in the New Testament where it's mentioned. But that statement is taken from Habakkuk, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 4. And listen, in Romans 1, 17, it, the emphasis of, is upon the just. He's talking about a righteous man, the just shall live by faith. Here, the word, the same statement, the emphasis is upon shall live. Not the just, but shall live. Because we're talking about living by the works of the law. Look at these two verses. But that no man is justified, verse 11, by the, sight of, by the law and the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now look, verse 12 clinches that. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live. See it again? In them. And the third place it's mentioned is in Hebrews 10, verse 38, and it's talking about faith. Hebrews 10, 38, because it's talking about believing. The whole, the three times that this passage is quoted, I'll give you the third one in just a moment, but the three times that this passage is quoted in the New Testament, Taken from Habakkuk 2.4, there's an emphasis in each one upon a different part of it. Romans 1.17, the just is in view. Galatians 2 verse 11, shall live is in view. And Hebrews 10, if I can find it quickly before you lose the train of thought, verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. By faith, faith is in view. Isn't that miraculous? God's Word is so full of meaning and harmonious. Paul starts out in Romans says it's the just we're concerned about. 
Paul comes over to Galatians and he says, it shall live, that we live. Instead of by live by the law, we live by faith. And then when he comes on to, over to Hebrews, he says, shall live by faith. It's faith we're concerned with. And it's a progression. I know that's a little deep, but follow it along. Let me give you the next verse and it'll prove what I'm saying. It says, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them uh, who draw back into perdition. But now look, but of them uh, that believe. See, faith is belief, isn't it? That believe to the saving of the soul. So he's talking about faith, isn't it? So if you get those three verses in the New Testament, that was a sidetrack, wasn't it? Let's get back to uh, the book of Ruth now. But we're seeing that a man is not justified uh, by the law in the sight of God. And so that's why Ruth could not be redeemed by that uh, nearest kinsman, because it represents the law. But Boaz represents Christ, who was able to redeem us. And he's not only a near kinsman. He took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh without sin. He took upon him the likeness of, of humanity. But he had no sin himself. To redeem them that were under the law, right? And under the curse of the law. And Boaz then is uh, typical of Jesus, who not only has, is a near kinsman, but he's willing to redeem us. And he has the ability to do it. Because it will not mar his inheritance. The law says it may mar... You see, what, what the law means that it can, would mar his inheritance. The law cannot come down and break itself and and sacrifice its principles and its commands in order to accommodate you and I. In other words, God is not going to say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and then turn right around and say, Well, it's all right if you have a few. And then He's not going to say, Thou shalt not steal, and it's all right if you just steal some. And thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, it's all right if you have a little bit. And turn around and break every command. That would mar its inheritance, wouldn't it? That would make it come down. That would, that would corrupt it. So the law has to stay where it is. But Jesus could come down and fulfill the law and then have the ability to redeem us, have the power to redeem us, and be willing to redeem us as Boaz is typical of Christ. Now, let's go on down and quickly we'll try to sum up what we're saying here. Uh, in verse... Uh, Six And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. The law could not redeem us. Now this was the matter in former time in Israel concerning redeeming, concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Now then remember the, the scripture we read says he, that he would spit in his face. But this was not a refusal of this near kinsman to show disrespect to Ruth because he wanted to do this, but he was not able to do it, see. So that part of it is eliminated here. It's not even mentioned. But he drew off his shoe, sealing the deal with Boaz to make it uh, a contract legitimate and binding. But you see, that even though... The nearer kinsman in this case did not perform what he was what was his right to do. He did not show any disrespect to Ruth. The law doesn't show us disrespect. It wants us to live right and do right. But on the other hand, it's powerless to redeem us. You see that? 
All right, let's follow it on. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day. Ye are witnesses this day. Uh, <clears throat> that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. That was the two sons. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess. Moreover, in, including this, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up a name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate uh, of his place ye are witnesses this day. The ten men, the elders, may represent the Ten Commandments. To redeem it is witnessed by the ten elders, and it's witnessed by many others round about. The witnesses were before the, these elders and before the people. That the price was paid, that the deal was sealed. All the people, look in verse 11, that were in the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which the two did build the house of Israel. Remember the two wives of Jacob. Build the house of Israel. Because Jacob was later named Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy, thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. So Boaz was of the tribe of Judah. Of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this uh, young woman. By the way, had it not been for this particular thing that we're studying in the book of Ruth, when you get over into Matthew's genealogy that we've already studied in the last couple of lessons in Sunday school, you would not find Ruth mentioned there. Ruth beget Obed, right? And Obed beget Jesse. And Jesse beget David, the king. When we get to the end of it, we'll read basically that same thing in the end of this chapter. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. She bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and, it, and became nurse and did. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. Of course, they meant to Ruth, and Naomi was the grandmother. There's a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. And it says, He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Where would David have been had it not been for this situation? There would have been no David. There would have been no Jesse. See, Obed, uh, his name is Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see how important all these things are in the sight of God to bring about what is written in the Scriptures that David, you know, David, a man after God's own heart. Remember when Samuel sought out one of the sons of Jesse and all the sons, all the sons of Jesse were brought before him and Samuel said, God said to Samuel, it's not any of these. So do you have Jesse? Do you have any more sons? There's a lad out there that's a sheep herder, tending the sheep. He says bring him. He says God doesn't see as man sees. He says all these brothers of of David are great, big, huge guys, all strong and ready to go to battle, men of valor. But David was a little shepherd boy, right? And God says, there he is. Arise and anoint him to be the next king of Israel. See, God looks. He says. 
God, a man looks on the outward appearance. You know, Samuel thought, surely this great, this guy, he's he's bound to be the one, the firstborn of of Jesse, or these others, you know, and one of the other brothers. Surely this is the one. Every time Samuel thought he had the man, God said, no, it's not this one. Turn him away. Finally, he came to the last that was there, and he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, there's one that's not here, but he's out tending the flock. You know why? God sees. We look upon the outward affairs, don't we? But God looks on the heart. And He knows your heart and knows if you're willing to be the servant, the witness, the, the testimony that He wants you to be. And whoever you are, however big you are, however small you are, God looks on the heart. If any of these greater, stronger brethren had the right, had the right heart, that would have been fine and dandy. They didn't have the right heart, did they? But David did. And so we go on down and read, it says, uh, and they called his name Obad. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Naasson, and Naasson begat Salmon. Now look, the last two verses, and remember what we've been studying in Matthew's Gospel. And Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obad. Now in the New Testament, it says, and Boaz begat Obad, look at your scripture here, of Ruth. In the New Testament it says of Ruth. And then it says Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Of Rahab. See what's not see what is not here in this record that we find in Matthew's genealogy? And then it says when it's talking about Judas begat it says Judas begat Pharaz. Back at verse eighteen, look at that. Judas begat Pharaz of Tamar. Of Tamar. And then when you come down in, in the last verse, and Obad begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and then it continues to say in Matthew's Gospel, and David begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Remember we studied those four women in the record of the genealogy in the first part of Matthew's Gospel? That was our first lesson. But here, these women are not mentioned. It, it confirms what I said to you when I was teaching on, in Matthew's Gospel that the name of the women are not mentioned in Jewish reckoning. And here you do not find them mentioned, do you? But they're mentioned for a special reason in Matthew's Gospel. And we gave you that reason in our first lesson uh, in our teaching in Matthew's Gospel. But anyway, a wonderful, beautiful story of Ruth. And I think the main thing you find in this last chapter, in the last in the lesson that we've given you in this night, is the fact that the law could not redeem us. But we had to have a near kinsman. Jesus became a near kinsman. It says he took not he uh, took not on him the nature of angels. Now listen, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And the Bible says he took upon the Seed of Abraham. It, thus it behooved him. It was necessary that he do this. That he might be our great and merciful high priest in things pertaining to God. That he might be our redeemer. That he might, might be able to be our uh, high priest after he's redeemed us and saved us. That he might be our intercessor on the right hand of God. And Hebrews chapter 4 says that we're therefore to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Why? Because we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, 
who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So we have the kinsman redeemer. It says, for this cause he is not ashamed, in Hebrews, to call them brethren. Right? He's not ashamed to call us brothers. I wonder how many times people have been ashamed to call him a brother. But he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Congregation, will I sing praise unto thee? You find that in Hebrews chapter 2. So we find that Jesus is the one that is our Boaz redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. And the law couldn't save us, but Jesus could and will and does. And the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, I think this little book of Ruth is really meaningful. Let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Thank you for your patience and your kind of tea.